Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the, I'm so glad to say this, Mosaic Stadium Press Box for the uh, first training camp edition of Ryder Rumbling since 2019. Um, I am accompanied in the press box by uh, Montreal Expos fan, a, a great hat, adorns his uh, dome, uh, Murray McCormick, uh, who is about 15 yards to my left. Uh, we are practicing social distancing despite the... Uh, relaxation of restrictions so um where to start where to start where to start there's so much to discuss uh there's obviously rider camp there's there's um the injuries uh, that occurred nearly a week ago and, and their impact on rider camp there's myriad topics so why am i still babbling uh Mur, let's take it please take us in a direction that so far i cannot comprehend how about we give them the advantage now oh, this is going to be recorded posted a little later, but we're live at training camp and we're watching things unfold before our very eyes right now. And I'm seeing they're putting on pads and helmets, which means there's going to be a little contact today and be a little more, a little more competition stuff. They're kind of moving forward, I guess, with uh, training camp and making it more realistic. So that's kind of an exciting day. I always love pads day. It's a, uh, it's more kind of enjoyable when you're down when it's in Saskatoon because you're closer to the action and you could hear the, uh, the, the pads are popping and that kind of stuff, which always makes practice a little more exciting. But uh, it looks like they're moving forward. I think we have to mention it's a long training camp. I, I still haven't figured. I'm not quite sure when it ends. I do know it's going to be over by August 6th. So you do the numbers back from there. But it's, it's a long training camp. But I'm, I'm curious to see how Craig Dickinson keeps it fresh and exciting for the guys without a game, without that. Because football players practice, but they practice with an intention. And the intention is to playing a game. And not even having a preseason game to see what they can prove to show themselves is has really got to be a tough thing. And I don't think there's many days off, you know, other than you and I getting our days off in here, squeezing our days off. I think these guys go every day. So it's not as if it's different. It's a different training camp. Obviously, we know that. But it's just going to be interesting to see what Craig does for the Craig Dickinson does for the, for the next little while and keeping things fresh and exciting for the guys. Well, how often do players and coaches say leading up to the first preseason game that it'll be nice to – uh, see somebody else and to hit somebody else in anger as opposed to uh, a friendly fire. So, uh, again, even though the season is uncommonly short, uh, the preseason is uncommonly lengthy. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, they're going to have to do some things to jazz it up and, and maybe give the players a bit of a, a, a break from time to time because the monotony will really um, will really uh, wear thin, I think, after a while. I, I mean, even like have a soccer game or something or just have a day where unexpectedly you just lighten it up and the focus is on levity. And uh, I think that would be uh, – the other thing is away away from here, there's, they're, they're limited as far as what they can do as far as team bonding. They're limited as far as what they can do away from the stadium. So I think the, the non-venue, same old, same old factor could certainly uh, be, a, be something that the players and coaches are going to have to contend with. It's, there's going to be a lot of Groundhog Days here. So um, – uh, that's uh, that's certainly going to be a factor. It will be, yes, I think. As it's, uh, but you know, some guess what they've been doing for the last two months or two, sorry, two years. There's nothing, nothing to do with football. And so I think they're excited. They're they're football players. They're athletes. That's what they do for for a living. So I think they're they're glad to be here. No one's complaining. I'm not saying 
anybody's complaining about going on. Don't even let me send you that. But it's, you know, they all have families. They all had lives working down in the States and stuff. And it's, it's a big change to come up here and be away for so long. And uh, I know I, I used to be, uh, I can tell people, my wife used to like it when I went away to training camp. Having that break from me and having the house to yourself is always a nice thing, but not anymore. It's just going to be a, a little different thing. Well, we'll see if the locks have been changed by the time you get home uh, mm-hmm. this afternoon. Um, I'm not insinuating anything. Everything is harmonious in the McCormick clan. Marion, Mer- Marion and Murray are uh, as, 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 as close a couple as one can That's possibly true, consider. Yeah. Um, what do you makes, like? Sorry? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's it. <laughs> um, what? Uh, who's impressed you so far? Well, I'm going to jump out on a, uh, a limb here, and I think Cody has. I think Cody's come in here. He's looked pretty sharp. But now I've watched it to see him actually throw uh, passes for real. I think you know. We always have to temper that because I don't. Sometimes it, he, he may overthrow him, or there may be a drop. But is it his fault or is it the receiver's fault? It's not always just on Cody. But I, I kind of like Cody. Uh, I'm going to bring. I think it he's going to be their starting quarterback. You think so? I think so. Yeah. There's a good chance that. I'm, I'm also going to be, and, and I know I've said this probably in the first round, I'm, I'm rooting for Jake Hardy. And oh. he's come out here and just kind of lit it up a little bit. Like he's making big plays. He's making passes. You notice him on the field. He's wearing Andy Fantuzzi's old number, which is a weight or, you know, maybe a motivation for him. You know, I, as I've said before, I was at training camp the day he blew his knee out. And it's still one of those, well, until last Thursday, it's probably one of the more traumatic things I've seen at training camp. I didn't see what happened Thursday, but just to see a guy don't lose, lose all his opportunities like that and then hurt it again. Very, very similar to Rob Bag. Rob Bag bounced back and uh, had an incredible career. Maybe Jake Hardy can. Were they going to fit him in? That's another question and whatnot. Another guy, and uh, you mentioned him too, and because we're not, we're both here, is Braden Lenius. He's slim, man. He, I think he's lost 108 pounds, Rob. He <laughs> just looks... He looks like a wide receiver. I think that's his, his bet. Like, he's got the body type and the length before he'd be a slot back. I think he could be a wide receiver. But he looks like he's moving. He's gliding when he's out there. His hands, I've always loved when he puts his hands up and catches the ball. So, you know, there's some, not everybody in the football world is Rob's not the only football guy in the world that's lost some weight to get better. I think Braden Linus has done that. And he's got such a background that I'm, I'm, good to, I'm interested to see how he progresses during training camp. So far, he's looked pretty good. We'll have to see what happens. And uh, I guess I'm just going to throw it out there. Mike Edom has been all over the field. He's going to be the starting safety. But he's been at Sam. He's been in some other positions. And he's just such a versatile player that he gets a little overlooked on this team, I think, just because he's such a, a good, solid player. So I've been pretty impressed with Mike with him, too. But uh, maybe I'll throw some at you, Mark, Rob, to see if uh, who you think, if there's any difference in mine. Try to pick Mike him up one of one of the cooler stats ever, he was a West Division All-Star safety in 2019 without any interceptions. That tells you how many different things that he's capable of, of doing. Braden Lenius, they had him lined up slot back uh, on Sunday, and they were just throwing against there. But they threw, he ran a post pattern, and, and the ball was just lofted up, and he jumped for the ball. I just realized what a catch radius he has, what a target. And he just, uh, his his uh, vertical must have taken him several inches, if not feet, above the infant, uh, the uh, the level of that infamous crossbar in the south uh, north end zone. Uh, Jake Hardy, it's interesting. He wears number 83. You mentioned Andy Fantuz. Uh, Travis Moore wore number 83 for the Rough Riders. Travis Moore is now the receivers coach for the Rough Riders. He was also the receivers coach in Ottawa when Jake Hardy was there. 
So uh, that 83 is all over the place. Um, and what really impressed me is how well and how smoothly Jake Hardy is running, despite uh, all the, the medical issues he's faced. It is not that has not taken place at the expense of his athleticism or explosiveness. Uh, just a really graceful, interesting, you know, player to watch. And it looks to me like they're they really want to start two uh, nationals at the receiving spots. A lot of a lot of the first team reps have included Justin McInnes. Uh, as a as a wide receiver and Braden Lenius as a slot back, and they were the Rough Riders' first two selections in the 2019 uh, CFL draft. But I, Jake Hardy could easily work into that equation as well. Uh, and you just wonder what the future holds for Terrell Janna, a second round draft choice this past year, who was uh, widely touted as a as a first round uh, possibility of not a lock. And he's also part of the mix at receiver. So they've got a nice wealth of uh, of, of I keep wanting to say non-import, but Canadian receivers and, and Mitch Picton's also part of that equation. So uh, who else has impressed me? Um, uh, I um, I really like Christian Campbell based upon what I saw at uh, Monday's workout. He uh, It was the first day of, day of 12 on 12 drills and he's a rookie defensive back out of uh, Penn State. And uh, he had two pass knockdowns covered tightly and had an interception, albeit of an, uh, a really nice leaping interception of a pass thrown by Tom Flacco. So I'm not sure how many jobs are open in the secondary, but if they do opt to go with an American at the wide side corner with LJ McCray gone, uh, and maybe maybe Nelson Lacombo being injured and and uh, or uh, and and Ellie Buka no not yet being here might alter their thinking as far as initially starting a Canadian at that spot. Spot I wonder whether somebody like Christian Campbell or one of the other defensive backs brought in from the States might be a candidate there. Uh, Craig Dickinson yesterday mentioned Keon Adams, a defensive end, could also play linebacker. And um, he said he was in the backfield a lot. Now, there's, there, those were non-contact drills, so it wasn't the most challenging proposition to end up in the backfield when nobody's actually colliding with one another. But I think his quickness with that was evident and probably noteworthy in light of the fact that they needed a, they need somebody to step up, to, up a defensive end with Chad Jeter having retired. Uh, and uh, Freddie Bishop III having suffered uh, one of the four Achilles tendon tears that were incurred last Thursday, and with uh, Charleston Hughes now being in, with the Toronto Argonauts. So the defensive ends are something to watch. I'm not sure what kind of reap we'll be able to get on them, at least until the Rough Riders have a, a scrimmage. But uh, the preseason for the defensive ends might actually be the first two games of their, two or three games of the regular season as they try to get a read on what they have at defensive end. But I think Keon Adams has been the most impressive of that group so far he had a uh, he was going down on coverage on punt return or punt coverage on uh, sunday and he ran into one of the little guys and he just blew up the little guy and i didn't get his number but i'm sorry one of the little returners so it was the first contact we saw her and that was a pretty impressive hit by keon and he was very apologetic you could see he's going sorry man sorry man I didn't mean to do this but he uh showed a little bit of uh contact you should, maybe... you should be able to get that number because it's probably stenciled on the turf after he hit it <laughs> there was uh Another just little point with Jake Hardy. I'm kind of, you know, it's hard to find many good things from the two-year break. I think Jake Hardy might have gained from the from being off. He's three years off. Mind you, yeah. one of those years was spent rehabbing his knee. But maybe that gives him more of a chance to heal and to get his knees. Because it's it's still hard. Like, I don't, I can't imagine having such a traumatic injury and then doing it again because he basically has some issues. And then coming back out here and playing football. Like, what? You know, these guys are motivated to play football. And good for them and good for Jake. And as I said, we'll be rooting for him. To see what he does, I, I think he's going to make the team. I, I don't know where it'll be, but uh, 
you know, they got they have some good Canadian receivers. He's going to be in, in a tough battle, and it would be good to see, interesting to see as it goes on the further into this, what kind of the Canadian receivers stand out. You know, the question is, we've you know used always uh, breaks preseason games. Wonder how they're going to decide who makes the team. If there's like between this guy, he looked really good in practice, but we have to look at his filming from university. Like, how how's he going to decide yeah. that? That's going to be what's going to be the like, if it's, let's say two of the quarterbacks are tied for for let's say on the depth chart, let's say uh, Paxton Lynch and Isaac Harker. Like, how do you determine which one be, becomes the second stringer and which one becomes the third stringer? I don't. That's you guys get paid to do that. Like, that's not exactly something that's. That's hard. That's, they'll find that challenging. But it'd be interesting how they get a guy to stand out in but practice day it's after not, day. It's after not without precedent, though, in the football world. Um, I mean, uh, a lot of uh, junior football teams, a lot of uh, university football teams, last year the National Football League didn't have any preseason games. So I don't know if you pick the brains of, of other coaches who've been in that situation and uh, and uh, try to get a read on that. But I think the Rough Riders are well-equipped in that, in that scenario because their offensive coordinator is also their quarterback's coach and someone who is a successful quarterback in the Canadian Football League and, and, and Jason Moss. So I think uh, he's got a little, uh, I think he's got a bit of an advantage. One other thing I've really enjoyed watching is uh, John Ryan sending punts into orbit. Uh, if there was any concern about how the two-year layoff would affect a punter who turns 39 on, who turns 40 on November 26th. I think those Concerns have been allayed just watching John Ryan send some 55 yarders uh, to a to a height that is it almost seems like the 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 peak of the football or the peak of the kick is at eye level if we're sitting in the press box. Uh, uh, Blake, uh, Brett Lowther, uh, again, you're just you're, nobody's trying to block the kicks, but he was trying 35 yard field goals the other day, and and uh, which I mean that's a rudimentary kick, but the ball was landing in the first row of the stand, so those balls have those kicks have 60 yards of, of, of length. Henry Nell, a, a global kicker, uh, made a 60-yard field goal, albeit kicking off a tee, not even with a holder, but even a 57-yarder and then a 60-yarder on, on Sunday. So there's plenty of, of leg as far as what Henry Nell can do distance-wise. Um, you know, maybe I, I was wondering, you know, maybe do you use the uh, – Maybe if you want to get a global on the field, do you use a do you do you use a global as a kickoff specialist? He's got to be on roster anyway. Henry Henry Nell's got a big leg. Why not have him kick off the ball? He's, he's going to do more than their he's going to do more than their last global player on the roster did. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, Brass, uh, not not blaming poor Rene Brassi, but boy, they didn't he dressed for every game and just stood on the sideline. That, that was the norm. I mean, there was there was a, there was an exception in Winnipeg, but 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 for the for the most part, that's what you know. Globals are. Are pretty much, you know, mannequins making the minimum salary, uh, which which is what we feel like some days too, Mer. But Henry Nell also has a background in arena, indoor and arena football. Like he's from South Africa, but he's been over in the states for a while kicking. So maybe they can take advantage. There's a lot more to kicking kickoffs rather than just kicking them deep. There's angles and there's or trying to put them off to the side of the field. So I haven't seen him do any of that yet. But we'll see what he does. Oh, but he, he's got a big leg. He can boom it. So uh, that's worth consideration. But if, I think if there was any talk that maybe that a global might supplant John Ryan, I mean, that would be absolutely... Uh, who would even have that? That would absolutely, be absolutely foolhardy. Foolhardy is not uh, a derivative of Jake Hardy, but uh, uh, John Ryan looks like he can... He can be Bob Cameron if he wants to. And just keep keep uh, rifling footballs for... I'll always... I know there's many things that's admirable about what John has done 
the fact that he opted out of this contract because he didn't want to get the cues because he didn't need the money. No, that's let someone else have the money. That's a good Canadian boy doing the right thing and uh, good on John for doing that and not because John's made millions in the NFL and he's set for life, but he didn't need the money that was going to people that really needed it in Canada. And good on John for doing that. That's it. Can I go on my weekly rant? My no, weekly not yet. Tangential no, really, tantrum? Um, the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. John Ryan should be a mortal lock for that when yeah. you consider what he has done uh, at various levels of football in this country. Uh, but the rules of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame do not take into account even one iota what one has accomplished south of the border. Reuben May still is in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He rushed for 1,300-plus yards for New Orleans in, in uh in 1986. Um, and he's a star yeah, in college, too. You know, and there's there's myriad examples of Canadians who have done well. In the, you know, Mark Rippon won a, was, uh, was a Super Bowl winning quarterback with, the Washington, with Washington and, and it accounts for nothing. John Ryan, what he did in the United States, what he did with the Green Bay Packers and Seattle Seahawks, and, and, and that's not to discount what he's done in Canada because he, he averaged 50.6 yards punt for Winnipeg in 2005. That's still a CFL single-season record. But... I doubt, even as, as durable as John Ryan is, I doubt that he's going to play in the CFL long enough to have the kind of longevity that would make him a, a lock, especially when you consider that Paul McCallum still is in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He's the second leading scorer in league history. So they're, they're, the special teams players don't usually get a break there. But John Ryan should be an absolute automatic for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame when you look what he, what, what he has done in football. And they'll make allowances for, for players who never played in the CFL or, or played uh, – briefly in the CFL if they had a standout career in, in the Canadian college ranks. But if you go down to the NFL and, and do it at the highest level you can for an extended period, it counts for nothing. John Ryan should, should be as automatic as a, as a selection can be, can be for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame and for just the Humanity Hall of Fame, too, which I, of which I'm volunteering to be the curator. But anyway, I just wanted to go on that little tangent because it just bugs me. Well, I think we're, we're missing kind of the big words there. It's Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And John's a Canadian, and he's a football player. How can okay, he not be in the Hall of Fame? You know, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's exactly it. And plus, this year's five player inductees are all Americans. Yeah. So what is the focus here? I mean, uh, it's so silly. John Ryan just should be decorated in every way that he can be decorated. I mean, he's been decorated by the University of Regina as has his uh, wonderful mother, Barb Ryan. Uh, that family is just Regina royalty. And uh, anyway, I'm just so glad to see John Ryan out here because there was, you know, even after the 2019 season, he toyed a bit with whether to resume playing. And then you get a year off, and this is somebody who doesn't need to play professional football uh, when you consider um, what the money he's made. And it would be very easy to just to stay in Southern California and enjoy that, that lifestyle and, and uh, enjoy spending time on the road with his wife, Sarah Colonna. Uh, but uh, here he is. It's, just, it's a great love of the game story, and he's fostered the love of the game in so many others with the, with the contributions that he has made to, to minor football and to charity in, in Saskatchewan. So uh, I think he had to come to John Ryan out here. He had to come back, Rob, after all the money the Ryan family invested in Ryder jerseys. One oh. season really isn't enough. You got to give him a couple to get the money back in the Ryan jerseys and T-shirts. So they would have. I don't think they may have excommunicated him from the family if he'd only spent one season with the Riders. Not good kidding, but I mean, I hope uh, he'll be placed there until he's fifty, and I hope I'm here to cover it. There's a better will. chance of him playing until he's fifty. I'm getting old. 
Uh, I think we, 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 we're better getting to the point here. I think we have to discuss what happened last Thursday. I think the four Achilles injuries were, man, I still have problems believing it. And I know it's, that seems kind of trite, but it's just the way the day started. We first heard about Larry Dean stealing, tearing his Achilles, and then I got a couple texts saying, Murray, it's three other guys. And I went, what, three other guys did what? Torn their Achilles in the same practice and the same drill? Within, as the CFLPA did in their investigation, six minutes. That's just who screwed up, who who blew it, who who got it all wrong. How does it all happen? And then the ride is it's funny, and then you're back here on Saturday because the game goes on. It doesn't stop just because something, some catastrophic injuries happen like that. That you say, oh well, maybe the players should get a day off to to simulate what happened. But it, the game went on, and we're out here, and we're looking, trying to find guys to replacing. I. I'll mention it. yesterday I saw all four of them on the sideline with their boots on. Larry Dean riding one of these kind of like two-wheel bike things that support the uh, Achilles tendons when they're injured like that. And it's just sad, sad and tragic. And I've had friends of mine call me who, surprisingly, a number of guys between 30 and 40 have torn their Achilles. But they're recreational weekend, weekend warriors, and they did it playing basketball. But they said, you know, just the pain and the agony from that how it could happen to one guy and it just happens to another and then finally they don't didn't shut it down. Well, the thing is too, I mean, they've said that, uh, very people said, you know, we do, we do this to drill all the time and, you know, uh, and nothing's like that, that has happened. But when you get the same injury in the same drill within such a compact period of time, it's not a fluke anymore. It's, if, if it happens to one player or two players, okay, maybe that's a fluke. But then players number three and number four go down um, that, I, I have a hard time believing that that drill is uh, is is not a, a minor. A, the nature of the drill is not a minor, at least a minor contributing factor. Um, I think that the whole the restrictions did not work well there because uh, not allowing coaches to be in a super, at least the supervisory role uh, created chaos. There was nobody in authority to say let's stop this. Yeah. Um, they wanted to keep coaches away for whatever reason, but that that would have been that would that would have saved one, two, or three injuries. You would think if somebody would was there to say no. And I'm not putting any of this on the training staff because they were so preoccupied with dealing with the uh, injuries oh, yeah. that they occurred. They, the trainer is, is not in a position. They were, they were over. They were, I believe there were two of them, and they were so overwhelmed with just trying to deal with them that with those injuries that they can't step in. But, well, the uh, first one's so traumatic that they—that's dealing with a big injury. Like yeah. So you don't—you're not looking up to see what's going on on the field. You're dealing with this guy who's torn his Achilles, and is probably screaming and yelling in pain. Or sometimes it doesn't—it's not as bad. But they all happen on the field. They all happen during the same drill. I know the PA is looking into it, and rightfully so, because something went terribly wrong on that day for the Rough Riders. And we may, if they don't make the playoffs, there's something we could that easily look back on that day is what, what cost them. I know there's only only one offensive guy, the running back, uh, Jonathan Femi Cole, but still those are huge losses for this team. And uh, you got to look at that aspect of it. Well, the middle just, linebacker. I mean, look at the 2015 season and Shea Emery goes down. Uh, the Riders ended up, and Darian Durant went down that day too. Keenan McDougal went down. They lost three pretty important players in one game, but at least those are game-related injuries. Only one of them was an Achilles, that, that being Darian Durant. But you lose your middle linebacker that early, um, I mean, so ridiculously early. Uh, sometimes you can overcome it. Ray Williams got hurt to, in the Banjo Bowl in, in 2013. He was having a great season. They got by. Mike McCullough stepped in admirably. But I pointed to the Shea Emery example in, in 1980, 
and pardon me, 1979, Cleveland Van, Cleveland Van blew a knee in the third game of the season against Hamilton, and that's that's a that's a, a line middle linebacker who, if not for the presence of Dan Kepley, would have been a perennial All Star. And Cleveland yeah. Van's in the Plaza of Honor. Well, he he blew a knee game three, and the Riders that sure didn't help the Riders en route to a to a two and fourteen season. So, and Cleveland Van was never the same when he came back in 1980s, so you lose your middle linebacker. That's your. That's in many ways the quarterback of your defense. And uh, it's uh, well, Larry Dean's 32. You know, these two of the guys are in their 30s. And how how do you bounce back from something like that in your 30s? Like Lacombo and Femi Cole, you know, they they could probably bounce back. They're young enough, but I don't know how 30 year olds bounce back from torn Achilles. It's just a, such a hard rehab. And to come back, I know Darian Durant came back from it, but we all watched that like crazy, watching to see what he would do, watching for a limp or anything that gave any sort of inkling that he might have, might not be as strong as he looked. But he did come back. So, but you know, it's uh, it was a tragic day. And uh, Corey Sheets, you know, Corey yeah. had ended his career, and Corey Sheets was 29 when he got hurt with the Oakland Raiders in a preseason game. The one thing I'd like to point out too is I think a lot of people have said, well, why are the riders working out in advance? And have questioned the wisdom of doing that. I would question the wisdom of not doing that. Right. When you consider, now, I mean, who knows if that drill, the degree to which that specific drill was, was a contributor, I wouldn't advise they do that drill again anytime soon. But if you're talking about players who in, in a lot of cases have been out of the game for, for almost two full seasons, where you're talking about them having gone through quarantine, so they've been idle for a period of time. And you don't want to suddenly flip the switch on in a training camp and have them doing things. Mm-hmm. I think you needed some sort of bridge between the conclusion of quarantine and the, the commencement of training camp. So I think it was very smart for oh, yeah. our writers to do something that, that allowed the players to kind of ease into it. And and I think what we're seeing in the first few days of camp, knock on wood, uh, underlines the fact that, uh, or underlines the likelihood that that those workouts were, those four injuries aside, beneficial because we haven't seen a lot of injuries once the actual workouts have be- begun. Sharon Peak pulled up lame on a, well, running a pass pattern on twos on Monday, but by and large, the Rough Riders have, have been pretty healthy in camp. It was just before camp, but I think they <laughs> needed that bridge. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, just maybe they just need to rethink the components of said bridge. It was pointed out to me too that a lot of the guys weren't the gyms weren't available during this long stage, and some of them, a lot of them play basketball, which provides some explosive exercises on those Achilles tendons that you push off and things, and so that gets you ready. But I also agree you couldn't just send them onto the field Saturday and said let's play ball. They had to roll things out slowly, and I and I think their intention was correct to roll things out slowly. Just this one drill, which they said they'd done thousands of times, somehow ended up being this catastrophic this thing that just didn't I don't, I, I don't think I I have to admit, and I've never seen that drill and I don't know when they do it thousands of times maybe they do it before practice maybe they do it on off days when we're not here and seeing stuff but I've never seen it done at a practice yet and there's a, a number of us have watched watch this and see that so I, I don't know if that means anything but it just says that, that somehow this drill is so common that it just led to an incredibly uncommon result uh, you gotta remember too there were two there were two Achilles Tendon injuries in Montreal. Montreal too, yes. So, so where they uh, happen? Yeah. Was it the drill, or was it? Uh, I, I would think it probably wasn't the same drill, but uh, was it the drill on top of the uh, the hiatus? Uh, well, Larry Dean posted a video today on his, on his uh, Twitter account. He's really a very social person. I was kind of looking forward to dealing with him, and just says, you know, he's going to go to the uh, surgery, get that Achilles cleaned up, and uh, see what happens. 
Will he come back? I mean, he'll I be 30, 33 in August. That's a real yeah. tall order to ask somebody to come back in a season which they turned 34 when they haven't played since, since 2019. But uh, I sure hope that uh, that uh, Larry Dean can probably can defy the odds there. Yeah, and I hope, uh, uh, you know, Freddie Bishop the third. That's the other thing. I mean, they were. I, I think you could. There's a re, pretty very strong chance that Freddie Bishop the third was going to make the Rough Riders roster. Uh, just somebody who has had 11 sacks for the Calgary Stampeders once upon a time, and they do have to replace Charleston Hughes. And and uh, so he had a was. He said, of all the players who were trying out for the Rough Riders at defensive end this year, he had the most sacks in a season of any of them. East yeah. uh, Leonard had nine in 2019. So uh, that's going to be interesting, too, because uh, I think A.C. Leonard is the only sure bet at defensive end now. And, and suddenly he's going to be the, 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 the defensive end that the other teams target at Rough Riders accentuate. Yeah. The other teams don't have to look at Charleston Hughes anymore. So how does he respond to being the guy that that uh, opposing teams key on? I, I think he could he could really be in for a big year, though. I mean, if, if the Rough Riders won the 2019 West Division Final, I think there would have been a lot more recognition of what A.C. Leonard did in that game because he was tremendous. Yeah. But you yeah. lose the game and nobody remembers. Ray Williams had an amazing game in the 2009 Grey Cup, yeah. like 10 tackles and three sacks or something like that. And, uh, yeah. Well, well, that's an afterthought. I wonder how that one ended. He, uh, maybe we can touch on this a little bit, too. We're here. We're in the press box. Max this Free. We're, we're COVID. Well, we're, we're, not, we're not purposely social distancing. We just don't like each other that much. Well, no. you should have used some Listerine. I forgot to do something this morning when I was shaving for the third day in a row. Uh, it was kind of cool to be here. You know, it's kind of such an interesting just, just uh, from Saturday to Sunday. Saturday, we're in here in full COVID protective mode. Sunday, you're back, you're back, no masks, the world is wide open, we're as normal as normal can be, except we're in the press box, the coaches are now in the field wearing masks. Uh, an interesting little thing, I don't know if I should tell it, the, the uh, writer's video staff was walking out yesterday when I was upstairs, and uh, we had to keep our distance because I didn't have a mask on. And I've seen, I've known these guys for a long, long time, and it was kind of a weird situation that we couldn't chat because I didn't have a mask, and I, I didn't put on, so... They're at the CFL still under strict, strict protocol. It's very strict. There's still not any fans allowed here. The rumor is next week, or the suggestion is maybe next week they're going to look at things, but there's, there's no re- I don't know, there's no reason why they shouldn't and no reason why they should, but the CFL is not fooling around with this, and they're, they're going to get to August 5th and 6th and kick off the season and keep these guys as healthy and, as they can by following these strict rules. So fans are going to have to get used to it. The interaction is not going to be I don't think people will be able to wait around the door to get, interact with them after a game and stuff. This is, uh, it's still, COVID's still out there, folks. And we still have to keep fighting it just because we have our masks off. And uh, maybe I can say to them, get vaccinated, folks. Because if you want to come to a, I know it's it's not the same, but boy, being double vaxxed is such a relief and knowing that you've done everything you can to make sure that it won't well, get COVID. Can I go my second round? It drives me nuts that we have this vaccine that uh, is, is the solution. And in the United States, 99.2% of the people who have died of COVID uh, lately have been uh, those who were not vaccinated. The numbers do not lie, uh, unlike many of the people who are COVID deniers and, and, and anti-vaxxers. I understand there's, there's medical reasons for not uh, 
taking the vaccine. I, I totally get that. Um, but honestly, I can't believe the number isn't well over 90 percent. Uh, it's, 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 uh, I mean, vaccines pretty much eliminated smallpox. And that's, look, at, look at the scourge that, that COVID has been and look how many people we've lost. You were sitting right now I'm in the very C-22 <laughs> that Warren Woods always occupi- occupied in the press box. And wouldn't Woodsy have been, the vaccines just didn't come along quite in time for Woodsy. Yeah. Uh, we lost him on, in, in January, on January 20th. And, and uh, a colleague of ours, Robert Watson, died of COVID and, and his wife had, my sister's entire family had COVID. Um, so after all that, why the hesitancy of 30% of the population to, to get this? And I'm also, uh, it just absolutely blows my mind. The other thing is, you know, you mentioned that COVID isn't over, and I think there's still that apprehension. CJME on the Green Zone posted something on Twitter, noting that none of the Ryder games have sold out to this point, and not even the Labor Day Classic. And you wonder the degree of degree about the degree to which the everybody come on in policy and the not the not requirement or the lack of a requirement for proof of vaccination is contributing to a wearing weariness that may deter people from buying tickets there may be other factors people have taken taken a kicking economically and football tickets may not be afford as affordable for some as they were prior to the uh, to the pandemic etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, um, is is that uh, is that a deterrent my wife does not want to go to a football game um, I used to buy her tickets all the time and uh, so is that going to impact attendance? Scott Moe has said he wants a full uh, full yes. uh, stadium. But have the policies enacted by Scott Moe and his, his government uh, worked against that? I'll be really interested to see the early season attendance figures in Winnipeg as opposed to Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And they're especially pivotal for the Rough Riders of the Western teams because four, Riders' first four games are at home, five of the first six. If, let's say, people are more amenable to going to a rider game later in the season than, than early. Uh, well, the riders' opportunities for to attract home crowds are really front-loaded. So is this going to have a further economic impact on the team? But why are people getting vaccinated? Why is that number 90, 95%? This is so silly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have any answer for you. I, I don't know anybody who's not vaccinated. So yeah. you know, I don't know anybody who's not double vaccinated. So that just says in my circle of friends, we're all going to go that we've all tired of this, of all the protocols, all the mask wearing, all the not seeing our grandkids, not seeing my grandson when he was born for coming over for three or four weeks and stuff. So there's so many things that we're, we're allowed to do now. I think, and I'm going to mention our colleague, uh, Arthur Whitney, one of our reporters, was at Dabo's. Arthur White Crummy. Sorry, I know I should have had that. Was at Dabo's on Saturday night to get people letting loose and having fun. And it's like, what a great story. What a great story. And now you should post a link on there, but it's just a, a well done story and give, give Arthur credit for going out there and getting all these, and some of the, you know, the kids are just kids. Eh? They're just kids, 20 years old. And they, feel invulner- they feel invulnerable. Yeah, and, and, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand the demographics of who, I mean, I, I would presume that the older people and we fall into that category are a lot more receptive uh, too and anxious to get vaccinated than the younger crowd who may feel invincible, but this thing's this thing means business and it's not going away. And uh, and I wonder about the uh, the CFL's policy, such as it is, that allows vaccinated and, and non-vaccinated players to intermingle. I understand that there's there's privacy issues and whatever, but 
is this going to be a powder keg as it's easier to enforce a quarantine and, and strict restrictions earlier in the season. But after a month or two, you've got a lot of players who might just you're just living in a dorm or you're living you're sequestered in an apartment or a house. If, if one player decides to, okay, I'm going to go socialize, I'm going to go to a club, and then you get COVID from a non-vaccinated uh, person, and, uh, and you're vaccinated. Sudden, the whole team gets it. You know, <laughs> um, honestly, the, the intermingling of, of vaccinated and non, non-vaccinated players in training camp, regular season, I just wonder if down the road that's going to be a, a factor. And the lack of a tiered policy, such as the one that uh, exists in the National Football League, is also... Uh, concerning. Uh, there's a lot of incentives in, in the National Football League for a player to get vaccinated. There aren't as many in the Canadian Football League. and I, I just don't, I fail to understand why. As I said, so maybe someone can explain it. I can see the medical reasons, but I still think the benefits of being vaccinated would outlay, outweigh any, any medical reason I could possibly think of. And these people who make up all the side effects, the side effects are minimal. I know I had a, few, I had a little bit of one from my first shot. But I didn't. I didn't even think about it being the shot. I just thought I was having a, an off day. Well, my I got my second dose on a Monday, and on a Tuesday I rode my bike for 112 kilometers. And uh, I'm 57 years old. I have an underlying condition, that being type 2 diabetes. Didn't didn't stop me in the least. I I had a sore arm for a little while. Uh, now I understand that people have reactions. Healthier people than me are have had uh, have had uh, adverse reactions, but what would you rather have? Maybe if you feel like you have the flu for a couple of days or get COVID. Uh, yeah. Not much of a, that's not much of a decision, but you know, you. I hope, uh, I hope a month from now we're just, or two months from now or whatever, we can just even forget that we won't forget, but maybe some of the, 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 the fears that we're perhaps perpetuating here may, may prove to be unfounded, but you really wonder because it isn't over yet, there seems to be a, an attitude out there that it is over. And uh, and uh, where's the incentivization for people to get a vaccine right now? Yeah. You're not really restricted to, to you're not limited by anything anymore. I think uh, if you want to travel, maybe yeah. that maybe that'll be the incentive. I want to travel because I know you you have your dog and you may never ever leave the living room again. But uh, I want to travel. I want to go somewhere. I want to go back to Mexico and these things that. Well, Mac Henry, I'll just tell you something. Looked like Mac Henry. Just blew up an offensive lineman here on the way by there. So that's uh, they do offensive lineman versus defensive lineman drills down at the end of the field. This is one of my favorite things to watch: is big guy on big guy, and uh, you're not supposed to take him to the ground. But uh, Mac Henry just had a good straight arm, good push, and uh, put one of the guys on the ground. So good for Mac Henry, good guy. I know that one of you say that a lot, but he did a lot in the community when during this long break. He worked with a lot of kids, and uh, still does. And good for Mac. On that. Yeah, a tremendous person. You talk about a guy who's taken opportunities, uh, presented to him in life, and, and done a lot with them, and been a key member of the community. Uh, another nice person is, is Isaac Harker, who just threw a just a bullet over the middle right after just throwing a great corner pattern to uh, draftee Kean Schaefer Baker. So well, that's, Tom Black will just follow that up with a nice little out pattern too. I know we have to look at the numbers, folks. Please excuse me. To Randy Satterfield, Satterfield make a nice diving catch and uh, a good pass. But here goes, he goes down the middle, Flacco down the middle to, can you see that? Jordan Williams-Lambert, number seven. Where Joey Walters, well. number yes. 17. So this is so. play by, I know this is going to be, be after the fact, but no one can come here and watch. We could be making this up. We could I be saying anything we want to do. We, we have the freedom to use. There goes another long pass to 
incomplete. We won't say you threw that one. That yeah, looked like from Flacco. Tom Flacco has the amazing background. I know people look at his brother was Joe was a uh, Super Bowl. Which one again, Rob? MVP. I don't want to talk about that season because they beat Denver in the. Denver. Twenty beats Denver. Beat Denver. Um, that. that was whatever whatever Super Bowl. But he's uh, interesting to get, get to know him a little bit. See if he makes the team. And he's an interesting story. I mean, there's a guy who um, uh, played baseball, was drafted in the major leagues, I believe. Uh, just a. There's a really interesting his, – his entire family, all his brothers have been involved in sports, and he's looked really good. He's, he's got a real presence in the pocket. And I guess we'd be remiss, Murph, for not talk, if we don't talk about the quarterbacks and the potential pecking order here because uh, uh, the uh, – I'm not sure of the – Hey, don't tell me about Rob. i got a secret for you. Fajardo's start. How's that? Uh, oh, he's going to throw a pass right now. He just got a – oh, we're just a little – little bit too uh, far outside for Shaq Evans. But if who's number two, it, it does look like they're going to, you know, teams can dress a third quarterback this year, but it's not. I think it's Isaac Harker. I, I, you know, based on what I've I seen, what I know, it's Isaac Harker. He's a guy with the experience. So I'm watching downfield as someone just uh, didn't see his name. Sorry, folks. Uh, I think it's Isaac Harker, and the other ones are fighting for third string. Now, Paxton Lynch, we, we kind of made through the whole thing without even mentioning his name. We'll see what he does, you know. American football quarterbacks have come up. Many of them come up here, and none of them have done anything. So it's asking a lot. I think he might be the, one of the first younger ones in his. In yeah, he's only 27 years old. So I mean, his career isn't over by any stretch. He lit it up in Memphis, and and I think as he still, regardless of what happened after he got drafted, he still got drafted in the first round, and someone still had the mindset that he could play. He was worth the first round pick. Like, what general manager would trade up? To get a guy like that, anyway, well, like, John Elway. doesn't need deep one. So who would do that? And that was Terlinius, by the way, but it was over his head. So, so I hope we're not confusing people with giving you our play-by-play here. We're just uh, talks of Lynch is about to throw now, so oh, we're, uh, we'll stay for this. Uh, Where Derek Durant's old number four, which is another issue. Uh, oh. I look, I look out here. I see somebody wearing number four, and I see a receiver wearing number eighty-one, and I just think. Uh, uh, here it goes. So I got, and who's I'm trying to see? Uh, stop and go, stop and go. It looks like it's uh, oh, and it's a nice deflection by and knocked by Nick Marshall. By Nick Marshall. So. But Paxton Lynch, if he, if he comes here and he's serious about it, and there's no reason to think he isn't. Um, he, it, based upon his uh, Zoom call with the media on Monday, he seems like a really nice young man, and that's the whole. Uh, he, he doesn't come up here with any sense of entitlement. A lot yeah. of Americans or some Americans will come up here thinking they're going to own this league and then discover pretty quickly that, that uh, that's not going to be the case. They're still dealing with a lot of one or two percenters when you talk about the, uh, the, uh, their, their, their rank in terms of where they got in the football world. Uh, that was a, nice there. Yeah, that that was a dart. And, yeah. uh, but, I mean, if he's, if he's serious about it, we've got, that was Jake Hardy. Uh, okay. We've got a, with a nice catch. We've got a, we've got a really interesting battle here because we'll get a good read on on what uh, they think of uh, what Jason Moss thinks of Isaac Harker because the last game that Jason Moss coached with the Edmonton Eskimos was on November second, twenty nineteen against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and that was the day that the uh, Isaac Harker quarterback the Rough Riders in place of Cody Fajardo who had the oblique injury, and and Isaac Harker went twenty three for twenty eight. Uh, for 213 yards and, and help the Riders beat Edmonton, quarterback by Chad Kilgore, uh, to uh, to clinch first place. So uh, Jason Moss has had experience game planning against Isaac Harker. He'll have a good read on him, not only yeah. as, as a as a uh, 
as a as an ally, but as an opponent. I think Jack um, is going to interrupt here. Like he just, uh, Paxton Lynch just a few nice passes, nice zip on the ball, really good rotation, lots of power. You think when you're six foot seven, you can really generate some power on those on those passes. So he just had a, had one little outing here. I think it, he looked pretty good. He looked better than he, I think he did yesterday. Way so. better than yesterday. The first bat, first uh, long pass he threw yesterday was. Well, I think it was supposed to be a long pass. It wasn't quite as long as it was supposed to be, but he looks a lot more comfortable today. And and uh, so that's our play-by-play. I think we should leave this to Derek Taylor. This is an important thing. I've got to test my blood sugar. For the first time ever on a podcast, I've got to test my blood sugar. So well, why don't we, we let you go? Why don't, you, why don't you, do, you do a soliloquy or sing or... or why don't we just level? stop, Rob, and we'll do it right here. It's a good way to end it. How about we do that? Okay. I've got Rob, to test. I want to thank you for your time. Rob and I will be here. Tester. We'll be here all week, as they say. <laughs> you know, tip your waiter, tip your server. We'll be here and uh, read all about us in the Leader Post. And if you're more interested in Pastor Lynch, we have a whole page devoted in, in the paper today. So... Uh, Check that out, or maybe even buy a paper. Help us out. And Murray, you did a really nice job of the Paxton Lynch story. Gets getting some other voices, um, and not just that of Paxton Lynch, but uh, uh, Joe Craig Jr. played with him at the University of Memphis, and Joe was uh, a rough rider for for a spell in 2016, <laughs> bit of 2017. Mark, you talked yeah. to Troy Rank, a member of the media in Denver. A lot of uh, a lot of interesting voices there, and a really good story. So. Uh, I just got to find the little uh, extra right. that are. Do you have it on your? Um, a little what? The little sign off that Mark Melnichuk, our producer, is. Oh, uh, here it is. I got it. I got it. Sorry. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five star rating. Um, five stars out of five as opposed to 100. Uh, it helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is Stitcher? If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob. That is me at rvanstone at postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Rob Vanstone or Murray at, at MurrayLP. So uh, that's our show for today. I've got to do my uh, uh, blood, cast, blood testing, and hopefully I'm still alive after I do this. So for Murray McCormick, now Mark Melnichuk, our producer. Um, I'm Rob Banstone, and uh, thank you so much for your for your uh, time today. Go Expos, Mer. Yep. Talk to you next week. You bet. <laughs>